Thank, thank you, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be together, isn't it? And bank holiday, weather's a bit iffy, but it's great that we're going to have a bit of a break, some of us, and uh, in the busyness of life to, um, to have um, some time uh, with the family and so on. So it's a huge, huge honor to be able to uh, speak today and to lead what I believe is one of the greatest churches in the world. I do genuinely believe that um, we've got some marvelous, wonderful people, haven't we? And the great age range that we have and the multi-ethnic mix that we're beginning to feel among us. And uh, I believe the future is really bright. And today we're going to be talking about the whole subject of hope. I believe it was Napoleon who said, a leader is a dealer in hope. And uh, that's what I want to do a little bit today, uh, to deal you some hope. But it's not in terms of I hope so. It's in terms of a supernatural hope, something that only the Holy Spirit can bring. And so we continue in Romans chapter 8, and we're looking at verses 18 to 25. We've just had them read for us. And we're thinking today of a life of hope in the Spirit. I want to emphasize that this is a work of the Spirit to bring us hope. I actually believe this is a message for today, isn't it? If there is anything that our world needs at this time, it's hope. If there's a word that the Christian church can carry at this time, it is hope. Because if you have a loss of hope, you have a loss of passion. And ultimately, I'm being told that those that lose their hope are on a downward spiral. And we know that today, particularly among young men, there are high suicidal rates, even in our region. And I believe, and I heard one relative say that they believed that their loved one took their own life because of a loss of hope. So these are really big things, aren't they? And the Bible has a lot to say about hope. It's a remarkable and amazing truth, this thing called hope. And I want us to try to get our heads around it together. And this is one of the greatest passages in Scripture for hope. It's really worth you uh, when you get back home or through the week going through Romans 8, catching up on the uh, three or four weeks that we've already had, getting these thoughts into your mind, because the whole of Romans 8, you remember we said that one commentator called this Paul's Pentecost. If you want to know about the work of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 is really, really important. And I think we're at a, a really uh, wonderful part of this chapter, because this is all to do with hope. But it is a life of supernatural hope. The Greek word is a word called elpis, which is uh, used 35 times in the New Testament, and interestingly, six times in the passage that we had read for us. So hope is very important. What do we mean by hope? Well, there could be a few definitions, and if you were to Google it, you'd get a number of definitions, and of course, all are not coming from a Christian root. But I want us to really look into the depths of these verses uh, together because this is a Christian principle. It could be uh, defined as an absolute feeling of certainty based on an ob objective truth. An absolute feeling of certainty 
based upon an objective truth. You remember what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, hope, I believe, is really to do with a relationship with Jesus who is the truth. And that gives us a certainty for the future. When we trust in Jesus Christ and when we put our faith in him, there's a security that comes to us that is um, a part of God's plan for humanity. Dr. R.T. Kendall said this, Hope is a certain and confident expectation regarding the future, realizing that you will not be disappointed or put to shame, that God will show up and victory is at hand. Today, as we look into the Bible together, uh, my prayer is that we will have our eyes open to this thing called hope, and it is really a supernatural thing. And we're going to look at three particular things from these passages that I think will help us to understand more about this subject. Hope is faith elevated to a high level. It's a supernatural thing. This is not to do with spin or positive thinking. It's not to do with personal temperament. Some people, they're kind of bright all the time, aren't they? It's not to do with our emotional makeup. This thing called hope is to do with a confidence in something that is clear and strong for the future and it's based in the objective truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is alive. He's defeated the powers of sin and death and hell. He is alive forever. And it's with that certainty and truth that we find our hope. So we're going to break down these few verses together and the first thing I'd like us to look at is the security of hope. The security of hope. Verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We need to just link that with the verse before. You remember last week we were looking at being children of God. It was to do with our identity. Verse 17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And that verse leads us on to, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. These are very deep things, aren't they? But what we're being told here is this, there's a security in the hope that we carry. In the middle of sufferings and persecution and cost, Paul knew hope and wanted us to find that hope. Very often when we think of the Christian faith, if we're not careful, we think that when we become Christians, we can kind of avoid the suffering part. You know, we know that our future's sealed. We know we're on our way to heaven, but there's this idea that if we pray hard enough and strong enough, we'll not go through suffering. I actually believe if we can get hold of this, God doesn't bring us into suffering and hardship and pain but because of our fallen world, there is an inevitability about the fact that all of us will face areas of suffering and pain. But it's whether that can be a productive thing in our lives to lead us into a place of hope. And actually, we're told here that in that suffering, in that persecution, if we can get hold of this thing called hope, we'll get a perspective on our suffering. Now, this is easy to say, isn't it? It's not an easy thing if you've got an intravenous drip in your arm and people are saying, think about tomorrow. 
It's not an easy thing if you're going through financial problems or issues of divorce. This is a very hard thing, but if this is right, even the hardest of sufferings and the persecutions that many people through history have been through, if compared with the glory that's going to be before us, actually pales into insignificance. Now, we have to say these things very carefully because when you're in the midst of it, when your back's against the wall, when you feel that no one cares, when you're in a place of loneliness, where you don't know where your next meal is coming from, or you're uh, having to sleep in a sleeping bag out rough in the night, what could this possibly mean? If we can get hold of the glory that's to come, we can get a perspective on the suffering of today. And of course, as the church, we want to alleviate suffering at every level. That's why in Acts, we want to make sure that if there are people that are hungry, food can be accessed. If there are people that are lonely, friendship can be found. If there are people that are in debt, we want to be able to help them. There is no glory, is there, in struggle and persecution and hardship. But this message tells us that in the fabric of life, in a wonderful way, in a very mysterious way, God our creator is working things for our good and he's turning things. And we live in a time span which seems sometimes a long time, doesn't it? You know, when you're going through it, even man flu seems a tremendous long time. It's when will this thing ever lift? I say sometimes to Irene, as I have the flannel, the cold flannel on my head, will I ever be well again? <laughs> and very often it feels as though when we're going through struggles and when we're going through heartache, will this thing ever shift? And today is about understanding that there's a wonderful security of hope that actually ultimately, and that's the word, will show suffering to be just like a shadow. It will be like the shadow of death. It will be a small thing. I hardly uh, can say that because these things are so big. But the Bible says it will be a small thing compared with the glory. So what we're going to talk about today is the glory. What we're going to talk about is hope for the future. Not ignoring the pressures of today, but getting a perspective so that when pressures come as they surely will, and as suffering comes, and as even people face death, we have a future because that future is Jesus and our hope is in him. And so there's a strength to this. Suffering in this world is outweighed by glory in the next. Suffering in this world is outweighed by glory in the next. Part of pastoral ministry is trying to get alongside people that suffer. Part of pastoral ministry is try and hear the heartbeat of the pains of people and the pains of our nation. And we know, you know, we all know there's a lot of pain out there. There's a lot of loneliness. And the last thing I want you to hear this morning is we're underestimating that. But what I am going to do is big up the future. Those that are in Christ, we big up the future because we're in a small t time zone now, but we're thinking of eternal things. And when you think of eternal things, the things of time, they actually begin to fade. And so today, if you're in a struggle time, I want you to find hope. A man called Philip Hughes says this, Christian suffering 
however protracted it may be, is only for this present life, which when compared with the everlasting ages of the glory to which it is leading, is but a passing moment. Affliction for Jesus' sake, however crushing it may seem, is in fact light, a weightless trifle, when weighed against the mass of glory, which is the inheritance of the saints. Those are big words, aren't they? Trifle? Small? Compared with glory. Ladies and gentlemen, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, there is a security of hope. We are secure in him. Take a deep breath. If you're a Christian, you might be going through it, some of us have had some pretty dark patches in our lives already. Here's some good news. They may well be more. But God is with us. And Jesus will never, ever let us go or let us down. Don't be afraid of tomorrow. Put your security in Jesus. There's a secure hope. Because Jesus has defeated sin and death and hell. We're on our way to victory. The victory actually is already won through the finished work of Christ. So we are secure. The security of hope. Number two, the seeds of hope. The seeds of hope. The seeds of hope in church life are everywhere. Let me just again read these verses. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to reveal. You know, now that we're in Christ, there is a process on that ultimately an eternal picture of everything, the creation itself is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. What does that mean? It means that ultimately we are in a process where we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. And beyond death, there is this incredible, marvelous situation awaiting for us. It says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to reveal, for the creation was subjected to frustration. That's why it's important we think about issues to do with our planet. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. But listen, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So if we find glorious freedom, ultimately as we move forward into the eternal age, creation itself will find that order also and that glory. You see, I believe that the Bible tells us that the, the Holy Spirit cultivates in us seeds of hope. He produces in us a longing for more and a deep, secure, and certain expectation that heaven awaits us. There are seeds of hope that he scatters. There are certain mornings you can hardly find those seeds. But there are seeds of hope that says tomorrow is going to be great. That hope will not disappoint us. And actually, Paul elsewhere uses a commercial metaphor for this with regard to the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit is like a down payment or an earnest on our future inheritance. You see, what you know of the Holy Spirit now is just a down payment. The big stuff's yet to come. It's just like seeds in our hearts, but actually the harvest is yet to come. Here, the illustration talks about 
in agricultural terms, if you like, the Holy Spirit as first fruits of the harvest. Talks about the Holy Spirit being a pledge of the full crop to come. We get bits and pieces in this world. Bits and pieces of his blessing and his grace. Sometimes I feel totally overwhelmed by his goodness and his presence, but it's only a foretaste. If we can hardly contain it here on earth, what's it going to be like on that day? As we know the resurrection that is ahead. So the Holy Spirit, as the first fruits of the harvest, a pledge that says the crop, the greater blessing, is yet to come. There's a louder shout to come. Now is a small taste of what is to come. Now, there's this interesting picture here of groaning, isn't it? Groaning here, I had a thought. I have a few of them. But I had a thought as I was sat down there, we've got to turn the moaning to a groaning. Moaning has to do with your circumstances, the situation you find yourself in. When you're surrounded by sickness and all kinds of stuff, the easiest thing we can do is moan. But if we can turn the moan into a groan, the groan is based on the future that we're looking for. When you're groaning for tomorrow, and ultimately there's a link here between our groaning and the groan of creation. It's like childbearing when a mother is groaning. Yes, it's to do with present pain. Mark my words, I've seen it on a number of occasions. It's to do with present pain. But ultimately, the groaning is to do with future glory. The groan of the church at this particular time is to do with future glory. I remember when God was moving by his Holy Spirit some years ago. I was actually in a public meeting in America. And one of the most... Um, Sort of embarrassing things that happened to me in the message, I just started to groan. You know, real groan. And thinking, this is thoroughly embarrassing. What, what is this about? But a groan came on the meeting. By that I mean, it wasn't a moan groan. It wasn't a negative groan. It wasn't, it had elements of pain in it. But actually it was a groaning for something we're not yet seeing. There needs to be in every believer a groaning for something we're not yet seeing. When you see the people laid out in the street, when you know that there are people in our hospital wards that are in tremendous pain today, there needs to be a, a groaning because we know that in the will of God, there will be a day when every tear is dried, where every pain is broken when disease will be no more, and where we will be in his presence forever and forever. I believe that in our intercession, there needs to be a bit more groaning, right? And sometimes, you know, it can be embarrassing. I was in another meeting on the South Coast, and two young men, in the intercession time, I was, I was brought up, you know, hands together, eyes closed, sit in circles, be a good Methodist. But I was on the south coast and two guys fell to the floor, hammering the floor, groaning. Just groaning. <clears throat> groaning. I was thinking, you know, what's this? But I'll tell you what, there needs to be, sometimes, we don't have to express it all the time, don't we? It's not a pretty sight sometimes 
you know, watching a preacher groan. In fact, there was an occasion when I was touched by God in this place where I just found it hard standing and there was a bit of shaking going on. And on the way out, a visitor said, feel very sad for your poor pastor with all his physical problems. So I don't want, I, I don't want to, um, we don't want to come across weird, right? But there needs to be more than a hands together and eyes closed and if it be thy will. There has to be a groan because there are seeds of hope that God has scattered and it's a work of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, those seeds are in you. You know that this is not the end. You know that there's hope for a breakthrough. There's something that stirs within you where you just know life has to be more than this. In a worship time when it's beginning to rise in a crescendo and you want to give it everything you've got and, and yet you know there's more. There's a louder shout to come. There's something beyond. Do you feel that when you're praying in English? Thank God for speaking in tongues. In a language we've never learned. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. So I put it to you that seeds of the Spirit are scattered. And I believe that the Holy Spirit given to us today is rather like a pledge, an earnest, a down payment. You know, when you have a down payment uh, you, and, and there's a big amount later to come, the down payment's a blessing, isn't it? But you're waiting for the big cash. <laughs> and today a down payment has been given and also a little word that's used of the Holy Spirit, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a term that we don't talk about seals much, but on legal documents, sometimes, even today, you know, you'll have wax that, that's burned into the, uh, into the paper that connects the paper, and the insignet ring, the, 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 the ring of authority is placed on that. Listen, when you became a Christian, you were sealed with the Spirit. God says, this is my property, do you, do you ever get to the point where you think, will I ever make it? You know, am I good enough to get to heaven? Listen, there's a, there needs to be seeds scattered here that tell us you're sealed with the Spirit. You've received the pledge, the down payment, but there's a lot more to come. There's a lot more to come. Now, if you ask me, am I ready to go yet? I think I'd have to honestly say, enjoying it here now, thank you very much. But the reason is, we've not yet seen it, experienced it, known about it. But I'll tell you this, I've been close to people who've been so close to that moment that actually all the apprehension and fear is swept to one side in this thing called hope, where beyond that, you see, there really is another one in the fire with us. God is with us today, seeds of hope. So I'm going to conclude this little message with the third thing, which is a harvest of hope, the harvest of hope. Verse 24 and 25 says this, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
You see, hope is important because we've not yet seen it. Hope is important because we've not yet entered into it. But hope is going to bring an incredible harvest. But actually, this hope is working a harvest in your life. Do you know that? If with Christ we suffer with him, we will actually find that in us, we're being prepared for eternity. I don't get all this stuff, but God is able to take all that pressure stuff and persecution stuff, he's turning it for our good. And ultimately, we will one day understand that there's more going on than we realize, and there's more going on in us to get us ready for that day. And so God uses all this stuff to bring character and strength and determination to us as we walk through this life. So God wants us to be free to live in this hope. And several things, and I want to mention three, these things happen in us even through the suffering period if we keep our eyes on the hope ahead. The first thing is patience. Patience. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's a thing I don't have much of. But the problem is, if with that statement, I'm not wanting a bit more suffering to make me more patient, if you get what I mean. But I'll tell you, through those hard times, when you're looking at the clock in the middle of the night, patience is being formed in you. Where a little more waiting, a little more struggle is creating in us something. You see, when it's all going honky-dory and good and easy, sometimes that hope issue is a long way away. We're happy with everything around us and we're happy with our lives. So patience is very important. The second thing that this brings as a harvest in our lives is passion. Verse 23 says this, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Last week we looked at adoption, but listen, we're waking, waiting eagerly. This creates passion in us. Suffering can take you one way or another, can't it? Suffering can bring you down to the moan level or the woe is me level, or life isn't fair level, or as we go through suffering with Christ at the side, there is another in the fire, and our perspective shifts so that actually it produces a groan for more. It produces a patience within us, but also an eagerness. Why am I, why am I always upfront in worship as much as I possibly can. It's simply because God's been good to me through my years and he's put into me an eager expectation that what we're talking about in terms of church life and church's future really is true. I live for this stuff, don't you? If you, if you lived in our house, you'll see some ups and downs emotionally pretty much every day. But if you stick around long term, you'll see the things I'm saying today. <laughs> I said 30, 40 years ago, and I think there's more, more passion, determination 
in me today than there was then because actually the day is getting closer, the groan is getting greater, the revelation of God's understanding is more in me today than it ever was then. I never thought about creation, groaning. I was too interested in my own life. But when you see the grand picture and the greater arrival of the second coming of Jesus, you begin to say, God is more wonderful than we could ever imagine. He's bigger than we could ever imagine. And our future is more glorious than we could ever imagine. And so patience, passion, and then perspective. Perspective's perhaps the big one, isn't it? And the perspective, actually, you'll find in verse that is yet to come in our series, but verse 28, I've already mentioned this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Every knock you take, every cruel word spoken against you, every sickness, everything thrown against you, God, because he's God, don't ask me how he does it, turns it round for our good, produces stuff in us, that could never be produced in any other way and gives us a perspective. And this is the perspective, ultimately, <laughs> do you feel this way? Perhaps not. But ultimately, we're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens. We're above and not beneath. We're in charge of this stuff. We're more than conquerors. That's a heavenly perspective. And the other thing, of course, that we receive is peace. In a world of turmoil, you've got to be able to put your head on the pillar at night in peace. You've got to believe it's okay. He's got the whole world in his hands, but he actually has you as well. And he's got the church in his hands. This isn't my church. This isn't our church. It's his church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And we are heaven-bound, ladies and gentlemen. And the earth that groans today, it's only groaning because it's waiting for the the sons and daughters of God, to be fully revealed. But in that groan, there will one day be a new creation. And we will live with him forever. Heaven will come down in all of its fullness. And Jesus, the exalted Christ, will reign forever and ever and ever. And guess what? If you're a believer in Christ, you're going to reign with him. He might even give you charge over a city or five. I don't know what all that means, but what I do know is I've put my trust in Jesus. There is not a plan B. He's the objective truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. My future, your future, if you're in Christ, is absolutely secure. You're getting tastes of it now, seeds of it now, but one day there'll be an incredible harvest. And you see, when we think of our relatives as they've gone before, Please get a perspective on this. They're in the presence of Jesus, fully fulfilled in the eternal purposes of God. And on that final day when we are raised, because Jesus was raised, so we will be raised. And when we are raised, we will be like him. And he's preparing accommodation for us right now. So, Romans 15 verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Get hold of that last sentence. You and I can overflow with hope.
by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we close, we're going to pray, but I wanted to remind you of hope through the Scriptures. Ephesians 1 verse 18, the hope of your calling. Psalm 71 verse 5, the hope from your youth. Hebrews 10 verse 23, the hope of your promise. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, the hope of your future. Colossians chapter 1, hope of heaven. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 14, the hope in sorrow. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, the hope of salvation. Psalm 42 verse 5, he's the hope that lifts the downcast soul. Romans 16 verse 13, he's the hope that fills with peace. Psalm 31 verse 24, he's the hope that strengthens the weary heart. Ezekiel 37 verse 11, he's the hope that causes dry bones to live. Colossians 1 verse 27, he is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray together. I'm going to pray two prayers. I'm going to firstly pray the prayer we always pray together. And if there's anyone that's not a Christian yet, come on in. Receive the first fruits. Get the, the foretaste of the inheritance. We're going to pray this together. Will you pray it out loud with me? Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let's just bow our heads. If this morning there's that sense within your heart that you're being called to God, you know there's more to life than you are living at this time, and there's a groan for something beyond an eternal future, and you've not yet invited Jesus to be your Savior and friend. He really is the truth. And so this morning, if you want to receive Christ, you've prayed that prayer, I think it'll be helpful if you just raise your hand in one moment. And as you raise your hand, you're saying, please uh, remember me because I've prayed this prayer. Uh, we do this for two reasons. You will know you've done it, but also someone will just get a, a little booklet into your hands uh, to explain uh, where to from here. So if this morning you've prayed that prayer, for the first time, would you just be kind enough to raise your hand very quickly and we'll get a booklet into your hand as you start this greatest adventure of life. Just raise your hand quickly, we'll get a booklet to you. We're here to chat at the end. There will be people who will pray at the front, but one final prayer. Let's stand to our feet, should we? I'm going to pray that the church groans, okay? Is that all right? that there's a groan in us. And it's not a groan of despair. <laughs> there's a world out there groaning in despair. That's not our groan. Let the world groan that way. Our groan is a childbearing groan. <laughs> Something new is going to break out, even in this life. And we need a new initiative of prayer that's passionate. 
wanting the release of the Spirit. And yes, they're seeds, but we can have more seeds, more Holy Spirit. So if you are eager for more, <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray for every one of us now in the name of Jesus. I pray we'll be captivated by Romans chapter 8 and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking, Lord, that you'll move our church from any moan culture to spiritual grown culture, where we're eager and we are waiting in eager anticipation for the future to unfold. I pray you'll deposit something from your word and by your spirit into hearts right now, in Jesus' name. I ask that despair and darkness will go, depressive thoughts go, and may they be replaced by this confident truth. Our hope is found in Jesus. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'll leave this place with something ticking on the inside of your heart that's to do with a new perspective and a new passion. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.